Ironman is a business and this is their business model so they can make more money and good, you know, kudos to them. You know, that's what, that's what you do when you're in a business. You want to, you know, do things to make more money for yourself. And at the same time, I think a lot of athletes have a sour taste in their mouth and especially those men who thought they were going to Kona in 2023 who aren't anymore. And welcome back once again to the Endurance Hour Podcast, episode 382. Welcome back this week. And it's a snowy week here on the west coast of uh, Washington State, but I assume in Georgia, you got some clear skies and um, you can go outside, right? No, it's been no? rainy. Oh. We, we started the week off with a lots of fog. It's really warm. Yesterday it hit about 73 degrees, but warm and humid, lots of rain. And I told someone yesterday, if it was, you know, below freezing, we'd have so much snow if wow. this rain turned to snow. So it's definitely been a warm, relatively warm December. I've lived here. This is my sixth winter in Georgia. And it's a little bit warmer than past winters. Usually we've had a little bit of snowfall or some freezing temperatures by now, but we haven't. I'm not complaining. I, I do like the warmth. It is a change of pace from your time in, in Colorado, though. Yeah. When it could be snowy one day, clear skies the next day. The weather seemed more unpredictable there. Definitely. Well, this is an unpredictable outcome for a lot of people, in a way, is the Ironman World Championship. We touched on this last episode, but uh, our time was cut short. Ironman is going to split the World Championship locations by gender beginning next year and beyond. And some of it is based on the pressure from the, the local community in Hawaii. So Ironman announced that the field, men's field, will no longer be racing there in 2023. And they're going to be doing some swapping. Was it France back and forth? Yeah, it hasn't been confirmed that they're going to be in Nice, France, but that's um, the speculation. What's your initial thought when you saw this? Because when I heard this and you sent me to an article in the comments section, Someone had said, hey, I just qualified for Kona in a recent Ironman. And they said, who wants to go to Hawaii next year? And they go, yes. And they got, everyone went up and they paid their mm -hmm. fee because you have to pay day of if you want to um, accept your slot to Kona, which is, you know, it's a, a big, big pay payout. But from my understanding and the feeling that I'm getting is that uh, the w WTC knew that they wouldn't be in Kona next year even though they said who wants to go to kona next year so some people in the comment section were saying i feel like i was misled and mm -hmm. now if i want to go and let's say my spouse goes if it's a husband wife man woman combination of some kind they can't go together because they're splitting it up reaction yeah i mean my initial thought was i wasn't surprised that there were more changes going on with wtc you know i think you know, if, if COVID didn't happen in 2020 where everything was shut down and all races were didn't happen and lots of changes were made because of that, I think things would be different. This past year when they split the men's and women's race, it was it was still exciting. It was huge. I prefer the one day format versus the two day format from a spectator as well as athletic uh, standpoint. And I was surprised that in 2023, before 2022, 
Ironman World Championships happened, they announced that the event would, would continue to be a two-day event in Kona. And I was surprised they announced that already, having not ever had a two-day event before. I thought they'd wait and see how it how it worked out. And then, obviously, most people have heard um, parts of the island um, didn't like it as a two-day event. Too many people, again, brought lots of revenue. So there's there's definitely a positive for them. Um, I'm not surprised that Ironman is making more changes. I'm a little bit surprised that they would split up the men's and women's races on two different months in two different countries. And again, you know, it doesn't impact me as much because I'm not going. I wasn't planning on going. Um, I feel for the athletes who recently qualified and thought they were going to Kona. Um, even not recently, you know, basically qualified in 2022 for 2023. They thought they were paying this increase of $400 from last year's fee to go to Kona. And I think I think the allure to Kona is the world championships. Not that it's des- not that it's a world championship, but I think of racing in Kona mm-hmm. is definitely a different vibe than anywhere else. And then to add the, the um, title of a world championship makes it that much more awesome. So again, it's been a couple weeks or at least a week since this announcement, reading a lot of other people's comments um, and just a lot of thoughts that I've had. I, I, again, it's it's sad that if you are someone who tends to go with a spouse, um, one person may be going to a different country, different month, it adds up to a lot of expenses. And Ironman is a business. And this is their business model so they can make more money and good, you know, kudos to them. You know, that's what, that's what you do when you're in a business. You want to, you know, do things to make more money for yourself. And at the same time, I think a lot of athletes have a sour taste in their mouth and especially those men who thought they were going to Kona in 2023 who aren't anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may, it, it may decrease the amount of athletes participating. You know, it's, it's, you know, again, I'm not invested financially and emotionally right now because I wasn't planning on going and I'm not a male. So it's just, you know, kind of weird, it, it, but interesting to, to hear other people's comments, especially the spouse one, you know, if yeah. you have two people or even friends and family. I still think going back to a one day event, again, if a two day event was too much for the island to handle and for Ironman to handle, especially from a volunteer perspective, then I think they should just go back to the one day event and um, limit like they have, you know, for 30, 40 years, however long Ironman's been going on, limit the amount of participation and just go back to the way it used to be in one day event on the big island every year. One thing I read was uh, the stress on resources in the community and running out of things because sure you split it up, but now you open it up to more people who can race, which means hotels are going to be extra booked and uh, rental cars and food supplies won't be as readily available. And then the people who live there on a day-to-day basis are going, gosh, you know, now it's harder to even get around, more harder than it used to be when it was a one-day event. And if that formula was working, why not maintain that formula? But there's no law that they're breaking. This is their rules. This is the rules that we accept. You know, if you Mm -hmm. want to play – on their playground, well, that's the rules that the WTC 
that says we're going to go, you don't have to do it. I mean, you don't have to accept a slot, Um, but it does change uh, the direction of what it is to be an Ironman world champion, uh, a competitor. But I can see the global scale that this allows Mm -hmm. for other athletes who maybe they couldn't afford to go from somewhere in Europe all the way across the globe. Exactly. There's just, there's just pros and cons in Mm -hmm. every direction. It just depends who you are and how emotionally and financially invested you currently are and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of plans for the future. I think you said the right thing though. Again, it's ultimately, if we want to play on the WTC playground, it's our choice or not. We signed, we're, we're signing up for, just like NFL players are signing up for the potential of concussions or right. long-term physical problems after the game is over. Right. And I think just the main issue is Ironman, I think, was misleading. I think they misled other athletes into to thinking they were going to race in Kona when they weren't. And, you know, to increase participation in the sport, you know, they keep saying we increase participation in the sport. Well, it doesn't, you don't have to be a triathlete to do an Ironman. You can increase participation in the sport from a local level. And, you know, so again, I think they're just being, they're misleading people. And in the end, we all know it's a business decision. They're going to make a lot more money and that's what it's about. And that's their choice. And that's what it is. I think it also is probably going to be, they've, they've weighed the numbers. It's a short-term loss. And in this world that we live in, people have a short-term memory. And the new athletes coming in won't know or won't feel slighted by this in two mm-hmm. years. Like, what did they do to us? I know it's a tight-knit community. This is a very mm-hmm. interesting fraternity, sorority, whatever you want to call it, of Ironman participants. And, yeah, they're going, okay, we're going to take a PR hit initially. And then the news cycle continues. Even the multi-sport community will move on into something else. Right. right? What a great time to do it if you can do it is during the winter when the season really dies down and then people jump back into it and go, oh, oh yeah, that's right. They're splitting it up and they'll maybe forget about how feelings were hurt and this is the new reality. New reality. We're going France here. We're going Kona here. Women there, men there. That's just the new the new norm. And the new reality. People, and, yeah. and, and again, I, I think you touched on a good point. The, the, the new, the up and coming triathletes don't have a history like you and I do. Mm-hmm. with racing Ironman, you know, especially someone like me, I raced in 1997. I was 24 years old. It was, it was different back then. They changed the course since then. And so, you know, I, I have the, the history investment in Ironman that I'm going into it, into this whole thing with a different perspective than someone who's like, I don't care. I just want to do a world championship. They don't, they, they, you know, they're because they're, they're starting next year, they're going to start in a few years and they don't know the history of everything. So yeah, that was a good point. You know, you talk about the business of this sport. There's a good uh, little article on triathlete.com, 10 questions with Ironman CEO of this week's World Championship split announcement. So Andrew Messick uh, does a little chat with them. It's basically in text form. But anyways, answering mm-hmm. the thought process going into this. But I want to go on the what I know from kind of an insider at one point. Uh-huh. Back in 2012, I was covering the uh, 70.3 Panama race. And that was Lance Armstrong's return to the sport. And so I got called up because I was covering for them as a video or reporter and stuff. So go down to Panama and it hit me that the, the, the business angle hit me more than it has ever hit me because I'm working with uh, the marketing managers, the PR people, the advertisers, just because, you know, you, a lot of the staffers are there ahead of time. And 
it was brought up that uh, the city, the country, the whoever it was in the area uh, from Panama bought a license to license the event there. So that's how it works. People buy a license to to have the event, but they didn't know how to run the event. So this is the weird little twist. They hired Iron Man to run the event. So basically, it was a, a an Iron Man run event, but Panama paid the rights to do so. So they basically it's just it's just someone who had a bankroll that said, "I want to bring attention right. to our country or to our area of Panama City, Panama." Boom! Here's X amount of dollars. I need someone to do this because I had know nothing about triathlon or how to run yeah. an event. Who does? The WTC. So here's another. It's almost like they double dipped. They got a double dip out of it because mm-hmm. someone wanted to host the event. So the people who run the events, the business part of it, aren't necessarily triathletes. And that was the little the twist for me as a athlete who also covers the sport. I look at it. I look at all things as an athlete perspective. I know the questions to ask. I know the terminology. I've been there multiple times. So when I'm there, I'm I'm interested in the event. Mm-hmm. Oh, how do you prepare for this? How are you going to deal with the roads or the transition from here to there? All these different things triathlon related, but the team that was hired to run the event, which has run events before because that's what they do, but they were just hired to run their own event. That's what they do. They don't, they don't think about the athlete. They think about the event. So when I see these uh-huh. announcements or these additional events being planned where now you have, in some cases, half a dozen events or more on the same weekend around the globe, these are just business decisions it's not really an athlete's point of view. Mm-hmm. They're just not just it is a business. I mean, it's not personal. I guess the bottom line is this, this is not a right. personal thing. Yeah. This is, like you said, the business model. And they're running a business and they're gonna run the numbers too. Will it work if we do this? Will it work if we do this? Where do we take the loss and where do we make the gains? Oh, we're gonna lose participation here, but we have three times as many events. So we're gonna make up for it. Gonna hurt some feelings, but there's mm-hmm. always a new batch of athletes, of customers mm-hmm. who are coming through the door, entering, leaving, entering, leaving. And unless you're a lifer, unless this is your lifestyle, you don't know. I mean, if I were to enter the world of uh, CrossFit, I don't know the history of CrossFit. Mm-hmm. All I know is about, let me let me lear- learn about the workout of the day or, oh, there's, there's contests. Oh, cool. What's that all about? I don't have a history of how it got to that point. I just know when I stepped into this into the chapter of this story. Mm-hmm. So that's how I'm kind of looking at this. I'm not taking it personal, um, but some people, this is their identity. Yeah, that was a very good perspective and analogy with the CrossFit. <laughs> is it? Do you, yeah, are you I mean, because I'm the same way. I was thinking of a Spartan, you know, I'm, I want to get more into Spartan races. Yeah. I don't know any history of Spartan races. Yeah. If they, if I sign up, I sign up for a race in March, and yeah. if they change the course, I have no idea what the original course was. So I'm going to have uh-huh. no investment or care. I just yeah. want to do it. I just yeah. want to be a participant. And I want to experience, you know, the Spartan race that I signed up for. And that's all I know about it is I'm going to do some physical activity and I'm going to do some running and and then I'm going to cross the finish line and be like, oh, that was fun. Maybe I'll do it again. I think the same thing with, with Xterra. I love that concept. And I was in it for a short period of time, loved it, um, but a very tunnel vision as an athlete there. It's like, where can I go to do a next era? I don't yeah. think about what their logistics are, what their financial challenges are. I just think about where's the course. 
it's a first time course for me. Cool. I don't know what they did the year before or mm-hmm. what issues they had with the community or the community had with that event. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to know where one is Right. and I'll do a couple of them and then I'll think of something new to do. And exactly. they're going to always adjust, adapt and run their business as best they can. I wish Xterra was more popular. Uh, I know it's uh, from working on the inside because I worked with Xterra a little bit during that period of time, you know, the people behind the scenes. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not a huge moneymaker. It's a small field of athletes. They're very talented, uh-huh. uh, no less talented than the Ironman or, or road triathletes. Mm-hmm. They're just as strong and probably even tougher because of the off-road course part of the running and the cycling. I mean, they're they're hardcore, but I don't think they get enough credit for being as tough as a road triathlete or road Ironman. Right, they're, right. they're just, they're, they might be the better athletes, you know, just yeah. overall strength athletes. Yeah. It's just a different type of personality as well. Just like trail yeah. runners are yep. different personalities and people than a road runner. You know, I always thought always, that always got me a little bit is that someone could be a, a professional triathlete as an Xterra athlete or an Xterra world champion. They're, they're mm-hmm. a world champion triathlete, but it's a smaller field. Not that it's easier, but you have fewer competitors in mm-hmm. that field, mm-hmm. but you still have to get there. You still got to beat the best of the best. Right. But it seemed like an area where it's like, oh, if you want to be, quote, and have on your resume a professional triathlete, you can do that in the world of Xterra triathlon and be mm-hmm. a professional if you really wanted to. Yeah, right. If you're already at, that, already at a certain level, you have fewer competitors, so the chances are better. Yep. So Kona, France, Ironman World Championship, it's a global event. And who knows? This is similar to, I don't know how, how much you listen to or follow college football. I don't follow the games, like watching the games, but I'm hearing a lot about how there are playoffs, how different uh, conferences are merging, and it's becoming, you, you never know where the bowl game is going to be or who's where, where something's going to be. It's becoming a global scene where they'll change every couple of years. Mm-hmm. We're in France and Hawaii now. Next thing you know, it could just be a rotating who knows where the world championship is going to be next and which will yeah. make it more challenging for the athletes who want to compete on those, on those, uh, platforms. Yeah. And I think from a world perspective, the rotating venue is, is the way to go. It, it's, it's tough though, because you had that consistency of Kona and knowing what to expect and being the best on that, where everyone knows what to expect. So now they're mm-hmm. all preparing to be the best on that place. Whereas if you took someone and took them to France, I don't know the terrain there, but someone right. could have a, a strength that they don't have in Kona and they could be better just because this person's a better uh, hill climber. You know, that well, everyone's equal on swim and run, but hills, they're better. Therefore, they're going to win on that course. Right. So so if it's not going to be in Kona each year, yeah, I think they should rotate it and not do men in one venue, women on the other. I think the rotation and have men and women on one day is the way to go. And if they can't do that every year in Kona, they should you know, wherever they are, they should keep the men and women together. That's my take on the whole thing. We're going to lose a lot of the, uh, I don't know, the the aura of a world champion if it's constantly changing. There, there mm-hmm. probably won't be a consistency of, oh, this person has won it three times. They're the best at this cor- this uh, on this on this course because you you could have ten different champions over ten different years. 
-hmm. the way the way if they do continue to rotate it and you don't know i don't know if you ever find out who is the goat the greatest of all time you won't there won't be a way to say right same course every year now we know who's the best who has the pr who has the best run time the bike time the winds weren't as crazy this year right just like going to uh, yeah yeah i don't know that was one of the topics we were going to discuss last week, and that's why we, we didn't have time for it, because we didn't have an extra 25 minutes at the time to discuss it. But, hey, we'll, we'll see how it goes and more feedback from athletes. If if, uh, if you were an athlete who qualified and it got switched on you, what are you going to do? Are you going to defer? Are they going to allow you a deferral? I'm sure they're going to do something like that. They did mm-hmm. that with the old COVID with Iron St. George, Conan, and so on. Yeah. They'll do something to try to make it right something hey uh you're getting ready for another one of those challenges for new year's eve or christmas eve aren't you with a swim challenge yeah so i every year um (laughs) in december i don't know how many years i've been doing this but i like to do a december swim challenge i think swimming is the weakest sport for most triathletes december seems to be varied weather in most locations so it's a good time to train indoors so why not focus on swimming so i've done a lot of variety of different swim challenges and i posted in our t2 endurance facebook group Um, and i'm also will be participating in my 12th annual 100 by 100 yard slash meter swim on christmas eve Mm-hmm. And my friend Kirsten and I also participate in a New Year's Eve challenge, which is this year will be 23,000 yards to ring in 2023. That is over a half marathon. And my goal was to say once I get hit over a half marathon, I think I'm going to call that challenge, put it to rest and start <laughs> something new. So if anyone wants to join the challenges, um, I'm going to I'm going to make another announcement in our newsletter about it. Um, definitely join the T2 Endurance Facebook group so we can, you know, support each other and answer any questions you have and kind of just hold each other accountable for whatever your challenge is going to be. It doesn't have to be swimming. There's some people doing other things in our group. And um, again, it's just a great place to go and chit chat and talk about our strengths and weaknesses and what we have questions on. We had a question from Cam inside the T2 Endurance Club on Facebook. He says here, a quick question. I'm trying to plan out a couple of 70.3 races this year, probably meaning next year. I'm a reasonable swimmer. Give some times here. I'm looking at Oregon 70.3 that has a down current swim. Here's my question. Does a down current swim help a weak swimmer more than it does a strong swimmer? Hopefully I worded that so you all understand what I'm asking right now. So my instinct is, uh, who does it help? Help, uh, help? Does it help a person more than the strong? I'm not sure if it... You tell me because it would it would make me not work so hard if I'm just kind of going with the flow. But does a swimmer go even faster because they're going with the flow, or does the flow throw off their their rhythm? So if the flow is even, you know, across the width of the, I think it's a oh, river the current swim. is all the way through. Yeah, if like it's even, if canal. it's even, and me and you and I, you let's say let's say your um. 1.2 mile is 35 minutes and my 1.2 mile is 30 minutes. Both th- things being equal, we start at the same time and we have the same current pushing us and we both swam at our normal 70.3 effort. Let's just yeah. say RPE 567. Okay. Then if you're five minutes faster, I should be five minutes faster. 
even okay, though I'm so a, no even though I'm a stronger swimmer, if we just swim our normal 70.3 effort, both having the same current pushing us, we should mm. be the same amount faster than we normally are. Now, having said that, I think a current, a downstream current is better for a weaker swimmer because it gives them more confidence that they're going to finish the swim and under the time limit, a lot of athletes I've coached over the years, sometimes they pick downstream swims purposefully because they're borderline, you know, pushing that hour, um, or I think it's an hour and 10 minute cutoff time. So they want mm -hmm. that current, even in an Ironman, if they're pushing that two two twenty cutoff time, they want to pick a course that's going to help them manage and, and be more comfortable and confident that they're going to make the time cut off. So that's why I think it, a downstream current helps a weaker swimmer than a stronger swimmer. Got it. I thought for a second that, um, that if you push a little more effort into it as a stronger swimmer, you can go faster because it's almost like a tailwind because of your technique is better. Right, but I'm going to be faster, but so are you. So is the weaker swimmer. Yeah, but your your technique would I was I was thinking your technique is better, and you it, your 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 energy that you have to put out isn't as much. But I guess if you're both going the same effort, like you said, RPE. Okay, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now me as a swimmer, right? So I'm a swimmer, and I have a a tail current, and I'm going to crank it. I'm going to go harder than I normally would. Well, then yeah. uh, I'm going faster. I should be faster. Yes. So again, there's just other variables to put into play because he did also mention he's stronger than his friend. So he wanted to know if he was 10 minutes faster, oh. would his friend be 10 minutes faster as well? Uh -huh. Or there was something, there was some twist in there that, that we continued the conversation in the Facebook group. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely think I answered, you know, the question as best we could. I got three more questions, but I want to ask you, um, this time of year, we've been selling training plans on training peaks for, I don't know how long, uh, a long time. And we've got a couple, a couple dozen training plans on training peaks and mm -hmm. every one of those plans, because if you listen to us, we tell you, you can get a 33% discount on every one of those plans. And I think it's even in the description. So you buy it, you use the code, I think it's 33%, right? At checkout, yeah. you yeah. automatically deduct that from the cost of your plan. What plans are you noticing are more popular this time of year in the off season for a majority of us versus other times of the year? Um, that's a good question. And I, I just want to comment because it's December is a swim challenge month. We're offering 50% off all our swim programs on training peaks. So just wanted to mention that um, I mentioned in our newsletter. So oh, I get the newsletter. That's absolutely get the newsletter because then all the details are there and the the codes and the the hyperlinks to that. So endurancehour.com, click the newsletter, sign up for that. We get two two newsletter two newsletters a week. One's a recap of the podcast. One is all about discount codes. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, you know, I was comparing this year to last year at this time because there's a lot of Ironman and seventy point more seventy point threes. There's a lot more seventy point threes in the spring. Our beginner 70.3, our couch to 70.3, our couch to Ironman, our beginner Ironman plans tend to start selling in November, December, and January mm -hmm. because of those, you know, March, April, May, June um, events. 
And, and what so are the, we what's do the lead up time for these uh, these plans. How many weeks? 16, 24, um, 16, 36. 16, 24, 32. 32. Yeah. Depending so on which one you get. So if you have a race at a certain in, in April, uh, back time it and look at the plan that best fits that. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, we tend to, for like off season, like we've talked about, swimming's a good time to work on your off, off season is a good time to work on your swimming mm -hmm. or how to swim faster in 30 day program tends to start picking up on sales this time of year as well. That 50% discount code, how long, how long is that good for uh, the swimming programs? Till January 5th. Okay. So uh, less, less than a month, get that, save it, hold on to it. It's yours for life. And say 50 percent yep rob asked this question that's why i led with this uh i haven't done any ironmans yet i have not done one but i'm planning to do one how do you know when you're ready to start training for it running's not his issue but how do you know when you're ready to start training for an ironman is there something physical or something mental is it like, is it based on your calendar when do you know um you know everyone's different when i read this question the first thing i thought of is when you have a strong enough why and mm. reason to do an ironman so if anyone contacts me with a question or they're contacting me about my coaching services and they tell me they're going to do an ironman i first thing i ask them is why do you want to do an ironman because i think it's really important to understand why you want to do it because there's so many issues that you could face when training for an ironman so having that strong why is important but also being able to swim. Over the years, I've coached so many athletes, including athletes who sign up for an Ironman and they can't swim. Like they really, really, really struggle in the water with breathing, body balance, and just the basics of swimming. So for those athletes who have, you know, 32 weeks, 24, 32 or more weeks, they can get ready, but it's important to know how to swim. It's important to be able to have a facility that you can swim at. I've also coached athletes who say, I want to do this Ironman in six months, but I'm, I don't have access to a pool yet. So yeah. you want to make sure you have the facility and the equipment. You want to have a bike. Um, same thing. You know, I've coached athletes who come to me and say, you know, I take spin classes, but I don't have a bike yet. What do you recommend? So it's important to, as you're deciding, do you want to do an Ironman? Number one, what's your ride? What's your reason? Can you swim? Do you have a bike? And, um, you know, and can, and can you run? I mean, can you, can you swim, bike and run? I think it's also important. I always encourage athletes try not to do an iron try. I just, it's harder to do an Ironman as your very first triathlon. So I'm always encouraging athletes to give themselves time and, you know, Maybe you'll know you're ready to do an Ironman if you get experience doing sprint, Olympic, and half Ironmans first. Maybe run a marathon. Maybe though doing those of the other events and getting those experiences will help you solidify your reason and why for wanting to do an Ironman. And then also making sure you talk to someone like a coach or others who have done it to understand the time commitment with training and having your significant others on board with you to understand, you know, your change in lifestyle. If, if it's going to be a drastic change in lifestyle for you training for an Ironman, how it's going to be different now than it was before. I think that that kind of stuff is important to talk about. And that trial and error of doing a shorter distance race is invaluable. 
And the thing that stands out to me immediately when you say don't make uh, an Ironman your first triathlon is nutrition. If you don't know nutrition, you are done. You cannot get through an Ironman without proper nutrition, not without the knowledge of proper nutrition on the day. You might mm -hmm. be able to crawl across the line 17 hours, but you're not going to be a happy person. You're going to be really going, oh, I should have I should have looked into this more. I should have hired somebody to hold my hand along the process because that's uh, that's a huge mistake. Therefore, Olympic, you know, you can get by on those sprints with very little nutritional information. Olympic, it'll start to kick in like, oh, that makes sense. Half Ironman, oh boy, there there it is. That's the red flag. I don't mm -hmm. know what I'm doing. You don't want to go into an Ironman without knowing about what it takes nutritionally for you and in general, because you'll be screwed. I'm just telling yeah. you like it is. No, though, that's a really good, a really good concept. I mean, nutrition is is almost like, you know, you have swim, bike, run, T1, T2. Yeah. And then you have, you know, the sixth component is nutrition. The seventh component is pacing. The uh, eighth component is the mental whew. strategies that you, you want to yeah. be prepared for in training yep. and, and race day and how you're going to adapt to situations that don't go your way or to something that happens to you and it's never, you know, it might happen race day and it's never happened to you in training. You want to be prepared for, for so many, there's so many factors that go into an Ironman. It's not just some bike run. And no. again, you already pointed out the nutrition component. So, um, you know, you, you, why, why rush? You know, I think if, if you're someone out there who, you know, maybe had just seen Kona on TV last month, or you've heard that, you know, you heard us talking about it and you think you might want to do an Ironman. If you doubt, if you have doubts, then you're not ready right now, you know, get more experience. You can be a triathlete and it doesn't mean you have to do an Ironman. You know, you, the flip of that depends on your personality, what type of personality you have. You can sign up for it and that deadline creates urgency. Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. like if someone says you have three weeks to um, read this book or I give you three months to read this book, you're going to read the book before the deadline's over, regardless if it's three weeks or three months. Yeah. If you sign up for an Ironman, you, your deadline starts now. But if you wait and wait until you think you're ready, yeah, you may never, you know, you never know. It all depends on your personality, though. If you know who you are, it's like, uh, I need something to kick me in the butt. One thing that I recognize as a tip to pass along in your training that I noticed in the Ironman, even half Ironman distance, if you get done with a workout and you're hungry, you didn't do it right. That's one of those little things that you recognize during training, during the preparation before uh, a big, longer distance event. I remember sometimes that my stomach would be growling and go, why am I so hungry? Mm -hmm. You didn't fuel properly. You didn't fuel mm -hmm. before the training workout. You didn't train uh, fuel during the workout. I'm extra thirsty. Or why do I have all this white residue on me sweating out salt? Whatever it may be, these are yeah. things you discover in training for these things that will prepare you for the longer distance. Yeah, and and I, I'll say one final thing. You Even when you train for one, yeah. You never know how prepared you are until you cross the finish line. So, so going back to the, if you sign up for one, well, then you have to be ready for it. And again, no matter what you do in training, you will never know until you cross that first finish line. And then you, you use all that data that you've collected within your training. You look back mm -hmm. at your training logs and 
and you know just kind of processing what happened race day and you determine what worked what didn't work and then you decide do I want to go longer do I want to stay the same do I want to get faster and then the whole lifestyle um, will come into play with how long what's your longevity in the sport two more questions on our list today we'll get to them kind of quite quickly here Chris regarding recovery times from training coach what metrics, methods, or techniques can we use as endurance triathletes to understand when we've reached an optimal state of recovery for our day-to-day training? I want to make sure that I'm recovering in the most effective way. Um, I like to keep things simple. I think if you don't feel recovered, then you're not. It's definitely a a perception and getting to know your body, um, you know, how it is before your session, during, and after, and just the experience will help, you know, tell you that. And I know in the past, I've also used heart rate. I used to train with a heart rate monitor and, you know, get to know what your true resting heart rate is in the, you know, taking your heart rate in the morning, not when you wake up to an alarm, just one day when you're waking up naturally, what is your heart rate? Take that over a period of consecutive days to determine what that is. And if you're feeling fatigue, well, then go back to your heart rate and see what your heart rate's telling you. If it's, it's, if it's 10 I like to say five beats or more above your normal resting heart rate, then you, you are fatigued. You, you might need a day off or you might just need a couple of easy active recovery days. And so there's a lot of information online about how to use heart rate for recovery and to deter, determine if you're recovered. Also just acknowledging how much sleep you're getting and if that's enough for you. Because you know whether you're getting enough sleep for you or you, you're not. And I think sleep as well as nutrition are the best two recovery tools that you have access to to help you ensure you're recovered. That post-training recovery meal is really important to enhance recovery as well as sleeping is huge. Yeah, sleeping seems to be a foundation. You got to get rest to recover. Yeah. And so another quick thing is I, I don't use metrics other than heart rate monitor, but there's um, lots of data out there on HRV, heart rate var- variability. That's on a lot of people have um, these aura rings. I'm, yeah. I'm showing my hand right now, these aura rings I don't know much about to determine they wear this ring that indicate that's an indicator, whatever they're measuring um, to tell them that they're recovered or not. And so th- that goes with the whole heart rate variability. And again, I'm not the expert on that, but that's something that you can do your own research on. The whoop strap too is what, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, about those. yeah, whoop, yeah. Whoop strap. Um, the, you know, if you are keeping a log, then you can recognize trends. Mm-hmm. Like if you kept, oh, I slept four hours, <laughs> I slept four hours and I slept two hours for me. I'm not complaining. I'm just going to tell you how it is. I've, I can't remember the last time I got five hours of uninterrupted, uninterrupted sleep. I usually have a four and a three because we have dogs and I have kids Mm -hmm. and it's frustrating because I don't get consistent sleep. If you're able to keep a log of your day to day sleep followed by what you did that day and then give it, give yourself an RPE at the end of this little diary and then go back and see how they all correlate. What was I doing during this stretch or this week? And where are the consistent numbers? Where am I off? And I think you'll, if, if you're if you're that disciplined to keep that kind of log and look back at it, give yourself some time, keep 20 minutes. Can you imagine if you only spent 20 minutes looking at something like this and recapping, you'd be so much better off. If that whole that 
an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure kind of thing. You look at it, just take a little time yeah. and follow the trends. Yeah. And then just look up, also look up signs of overtraining. We've talked about that on the podcast. If you um, have loss of appetite, if you're not sleeping well, if you're moody and irritable, if you're high stress due to work, job, family, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, those are signs that you're possibly not recovering and going into that overtraining syndrome mode. So that's another thing you can look into. Last question for this episode from Laura. First time Ironman tips. I signed up for my first Ironman Florida 2023, her first triathlon. Hopefully, Laura, you listened to our previous discussion about signing up for your first Ironman and what you should do prior to that. She says here, I run marathons and I've taken spin classes. I'm wondering where to start with equipment. Any suggestions for a bike, where to look, what to look for, other equipment I will definitely need. This has been discussed, but for Laura, she hasn't heard it yet. So, Coach, go ahead. Well, I saw this question and I pulled up my some blogs that I used to write on my website. Um, tips for a successful season, racing on a budget, um, advice on choosing your first iron distance race, um, as well as getting started right when you're thinking about training for an Ironman. So I have a bunch of articles I've already written, and this is stuff we've talked about on the podcast. But as far as equipment goes, you know, we, we did already mention it. Make sure you get a bike. Make sure the bike fits. Make sure it's within your budget. Research um, bikes equipment and components and saddles and bars because when you go to the bike shop to purchase one Mm -hmm. or if you go online and you're going to purchase something used you want to have some knowledge of what um, creates the price range that it is and i've done a video on the endurance hour youtube about choosing your first bike whether it's a road bike triathlon bike or a mountain bike and why the um, prices range so much and what was her question? Now I'm totally forgetting. About, what, what, let's see, where to start with equipment, suggestions for a bike, where to look, what to look for, other equipment she will definitely need. Yeah. So, you know, you look on, go to, maybe you have a local triathlon club or a cycling team, um, start training with them they'll, and ask them questions because they're local support. They'll definitely help you get familiar and get um, in a good relationship with a local bike shop or triathlon shop, whatever um, you have in your area. Um, the bike is necessary. You need mm. proper running shoes. Make sure you get the right running shoes for your gait and your form. Make sure you obviously you need um, a swimsuit. Um, cap and goggles are optional, but yet necessary. Mm. <laughs> and then if you're going to race in cold water, start investing and in looking at a wetsuit. Well, you know about Florida since you've done that a few times. Is there something special about Florida equipment wise or preparation because of the the water temperature? I mean, that. Yeah, that wetsuit legal. I mean, wetsuit that, required. That's a good. That's a good point. Usually, generally, usually, except the year I did it, the water temperature is going to be in the low 70s, okay. and it's going to be, you know, you're going to see people in a wetsuit. You're going to see people in a full body wetsuit, a sleeveless wetsuit, and maybe some core shorts. So, if the temperature is 76.1 or less, you will be able to wear some sort of buoyancy um, wetsuit whether it's a full body or just the core shorts. If it's above 76.1, then wetsuits are not legal. You could still wear one. And if you do choose to wear one when the wetsuits are not legal, you won't be eligible for any type of prizes. And you'll have to go at the end of the line and be one of the last ones in the water. So 
Um, yeah. So on that note, you know, again, probably you probably, especially if you're a weaker swimmer, you're going to want to wear a wetsuit. You're going to want something, um, making sure you're, you know, it's not equipment related, but making sure you're getting plenty of open water swim experience. The Gulf could provide you for, with some riptides and that makes it for a little bit slower swim and a little bit more anxiety, um, for you, especially if you're a weaker swimmer. As far as equipment on the bike goes, um, it's a fairly flat course. There are, you know, maybe there's a thousand feet of elevation gain over 112 miles, which is still pretty flat, but make sure you get comfortable riding in your aero bars. If that's something you're going to use, making sure you're comfortable spending a lot of time on flat training on flat courses in aero bars, because that's going to mimic what race day is all about. And then as far as the run goes, you know, usually the average temperature outside is probably going to be in the high sixties, low seventies. So, you know, as it gets closer to race day, you can look at temperatures. You can start looking at videos and reading other people's blogs about what they wear, depending on the temperature. And in some cases, haven't they canceled the swim before? I don't know if it was waves yeah, or what. They have canceled the swim Winter. due to riptides. Riptides. Okay. If the okay. riptides are dangerous and you know, people yeah. are really going to struggle. People, th- people struggled the year I did it. I did it in 2021. And I recall there were 500 DNFs people mm. who didn't finish the swim because the riptides were so strong. They just couldn't make, you know, they did the first loop in like an hour or over an hour and they knew they couldn't do the second loop and they couldn't, yeah. they knew they wouldn't make the 220 cutoff. So they decided themselves that they were going to pull themselves. I don't know how many people were actually rescued, but no one, you know, everyone survived, which was good. <laughs> That's a high DNF rate for the swim because of the riptides were so strong. I don't know what I would do if I, all that time of the cycling and running and I had to be pulled or I, I didn't make that decision that I'm not going to continue. It just, it would be so defeating and frustrating yeah. Oh yeah. that the conditions determined your day and not your fitness level. Right. Totally. I get it. Uh, Laura, I would say with your local triathlon groups, people are so generous. They can be so generous and with information, with hand-me-down equipment. I mean, everyone has an extra wetsuit. I mean, no one's wear. you get, you buy a wetsuit, you wear it a couple of times a year. Someone's got right. one for you and they're going to tell you their trial and errors. And you're going to learn a lot of tricks of the trade shortcuts that'll help you learn faster. So the, the more you're around triathletes who've done Ironmans in a tri club, the better off you'll be with equipment you need and what you don't need. Cause people are going to suggest certain things that are just extras. And they're going to let you know what's necessary. Mm-hmm. Good questions today. Good topics. And um, yeah, I like this. Uh, Rob, Chris, Laura, uh, the Facebook face group question from Cam. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting year for, I guess, the Ironman athletes who are thinking about Kona and so on. But it's an evolving landscape for sure. Mm-hmm. So sign yeah, up for that and newsletter, I love guys. people. I love the submission of questions because it takes me down memory lane. <laughs> yeah, especially right now when it's about recapping, it's about uh, reviewing what you've done, yeah. and what you want to do, and yep. what's ahead. And exactly, you want to reassess your future um, and set your new goals based on that why. That'll make a lot of sense. Final thoughts, uh, Wendy, as you're leading into. Um, I guess you talked about your swim challenges and your 
New Year's challenges? Anything special in the next couple of weeks before the New Year Day? Um, no, you know what? I'm just getting more into trail running and, um, you know, setting us that time to get those swim challenges completed <laughs> again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, December's a pretty calm time for me, kind of more relaxing time for me and, and my lifestyle. So I'm enjoying it. Very good. Good. Well, with that, with episode 382, thank you so much for listening. And as I mentioned a couple of times, the newsletter on endurancehour.com, just to stay up to date on what we have produced for you, the discount codes that you can take advantage of. Those are great. I mean, it's all about saving dollars. It's a very expensive sport at times. And if we can help you save a few bucks, great. They're going to have deals all through the holidays and take advantage of them as much as you can. For Wendy Mater, I'm Dave Erickson. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week of training, racing, and recovery. We'll see you next time. Adios. Adios. Mm-hmm.